Cinemaholics in the morning. I'm Jonathan David. And I'm Abigail America. And this is Cinemaholics in the Morning. We have a wonderful program for you early birds this morning. That's right, Abigail. I'm already buzzing with excitement. I can't even think straight. Whoa, Jonathan. Maybe you need to ease up on the coffee there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, brr. I'm too cold for any hot takes today, Abigail. What's the latest entertainment and pop culture gossip we shouldn't care this much about? Glad you asked, Jonathan. First up, we have an interview with Harry Styles. His former neighbor, who's got a hilarious story about what the superstar was like at age six. Whoa, bet that story goes in all kinds of directions. (laughs) (laughs) What has my life become? But first, we have one of our top movie reporters on the ground at a little old festival you might have heard about. You said it, Abigail. Our very own William Cornish is on the ground at the Toronto Film Festival. And by on the ground, we of course mean he's in a secluded corner of the Pittsburgh local library, using dial-up internet to watch all the latest virtual screeners out of cinema's most exclusive virtual film festival for some reason. Can't wait to find out which upcoming Oscar contenders will be vying for our hearts in 2022. And now to William. It looks like things are heating up over there in Canada by way of Pennsylvania. William, what's the weather like over there? Hey, Abigail. Yeah, great to hear you. Human voice. Uh, Real one, too. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. The weather. Okay. Yeah. So I looked it up on the weather.com, but there are a bunch of ads. So I hit the reader mode button, but it only showed the first paragraph of an ad. So now I'm just refreshing the page. Yeah, I've been doing that for about half an hour, but the Internet's pretty spotty. So, yeah. Wow, William, sounds like this festival is off to a chilly start. What can you tell us about the movies you've seen so far? Any big crowd pleasers we have to look forward to? Uh, yeah, Jonathan, sure, yeah, uh, so I don't know about crowd pleasing, but yeah, we got this one film called Shiva Baby that I just watched on my browser window. I had to decrease to the lowest setting in order to watch in less than four hours. Wow, Shiva Baby. Can we assume this one's for the kids? Uh, no, not exactly. Yeah, so this one is about a young Jewish woman who attends a funeral wake, or a shiva, where in in attendance, her ex-girlfriend, but also an older man she sleeps with for money. Uh, oh, uh, we're we're hitting some interference. We'll have to cut out that last part, William, but okay, what else do you have in the lineup? Anything as easy to talk about generically? Like, let's say Green Book. Yeah, sure. So there's a premiere on HBO, a miniseries called The Third Day, starring Naomi Harris and Jude Law. Oh, wow. Third Day, huh? As in a reference to the day of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? No, not exactly. Yeah, so this one is about a suicidal man who goes to a mysterious death island filled with folk horror secrets that fall prey to a mother and her daughters on an innocent vacation. Yeah, so some critics are calling this one The Wicker Man Meets Lost Meets Psycho Meets Midsummer. Oh, gosh, William, it sounds like things up there are getting a bit dark. Yeah, Jonathan, that's exactly right. I've seen about 45 movies so far, and the black hole of my existential dread has been my main character, burrowing itself into my mind like a rat escaping fire, unaware of the drowning it faces as all of life closes in around such a tiny object simply trying to seek refuge in what was once a beacon of potential and worth. Uh, wow. William, sounds like you're in a bit of limbo. Yeah, Abigail, that's exactly right. I'm seeing Limbo Next from director Ben Chirac, which is about asylum seekers waiting their grisly fate in Scotland. And it's all about the unbearable loneliness of the human experience. This is William Cornish signing off.
My goodness, Abigail. That's so many films to choose from. Abigail? Abigail, you're frowning. What? Oh, uh, sorry, Jonathan. Just trying to collect our thoughts for our next segment. What does your Snapchat filter say about your strained relationship with your parents? Oh, heavens, Abigail. Can't wait to find out why my father left me out of his will. Cinemaholics in the morning. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics from the San Francisco Bay Area. I am John Negroni. I'm the box office columnist for Adam Tickets and the editor-in-chief of Cinemaholics from Pittsburgh. He is a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend, and he also reviews films for Cinemaholics. It's Will Ashton. Hello, hello. From Kansas City, she is the film editor for The Pitch with bylines from Slash Film to Crooked Marquee all over the internet. It is Abby Olchesi, our new co-host, back for her second week with us. Hello. I, I hope you all enjoy it. I wanted to put some location into it. We usually do that at the very end, but I'm like, let's just yeah. get it out of the way. Let's tell people where we're at. I like that. I appreciate it. And uh, I know, Will, you're probably a little upset. You you want to remain as incognito as you can. I guess so. Uh, you can find more episodes of Cinemaholics, including our full archive on cinemaholics.com, including our written reviews. And you can write into the show anytime by sending us an email, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to check out our Patreon if you're interested in becoming a monthly supporter of the show on there, patreon.com slash cinemaholics. Some off topics to get to and then some movies to get to, like Unpregnant, The Social Dilemma, and more. But first, our latest extra milestone, our film anniversary podcast we do once a week, came out and this week, so excited about this one, The Apartment which is one of my absolute favorite films of all time. It's usually my number one. Sometimes it's my number two film ever. This is the Billy Wilder film starring Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine. It came out in 1960, so it's celebrating 60 years. And I got to talk about this film with Julia Tatey, who also considers this one of her favorite films of all time. She puts it in her top three, and it moves all around in there from time to time. But this was a really fun conversation filled in for Sam Nolan, who took the week off. But he'll be back next week, of course. And I hope you guys enjoy this this episode. I hope uh, I hope we gave justice to the apartment. I feel like we did because we talked about the film for an hour. I could have talked about it for like three or four more hours. But are you both fans of the apartment, or am I alone on this one? I am. I think it's a it's a great movie. I haven't watched it in a while, but uh, I am intrigued by the uh, podcast episode. I may have to give it a listen and uh, check it out again soon. Uh, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but I haven't seen it. <laughs> Uh, um, I knew it. I could feel it. I I yeah. forgot if I told you that or not. I feel like I did, but I, I, I think you I, did. I but that. I like yeah. it, one of the many times, like whenever you disappoint me or something, sure. I tend to just like hide it away so that it doesn't yeah. strain our friendship. Yeah, you you just swallow it and <laughs> you keep it burrow until like some minor inconvenience is gonna happen. And you'll snap and be like, "It's because you didn't see the the apartment." It's like, what does that have to do with this? And then, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, but I have seen Massa Zara, which is your other favorite film. So I have seen 50% mm -hmm. of your two favorite films. Right. Uh, I feel like uh, wait, one of these days we're going to have to do another catch up on our favorite films and see what we've seen, especially because we haven't done that with Abby yet. And I don't know Abby's favorite films. So we'll have to tease that out and maybe talk about that one day. But OK. And also we have a, a written review on the site for a movie we're not covering this week, which is Rent-A-Pal on VOD. Three of us didn't have a chance to see this one, but it is a new indie retro horror thriller, which stars Will Wheaton 
And Adonis Gonzalez reviewed it and wrote about it on cinemaholics.com. Very interesting movie and one that uh, I wish I had time to have checked out. But of course, we had other films prioritized. But if you're curious about Rent-A-Pal, and some of you might, it's, it definitely seems like it's going to be up the alley of a lot of our listeners. Definitely check out Adonis's review. And that is streaming right now on Video On Demand. Now, this past week has been very special for Will Ashen. Will, you are currently in the middle of your first, it's two firsts. Your first Toronto International Film Festival, TIFF, yeah. and your first virtual film festival. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I have never been to a virtual film festival, and I have never been given access to the Toronto International Film Festival. But as I was telling you before, for reasons I'm still not exactly sure how, but I'm still grateful nonetheless, I have gotten access to quite a few films from the Toronto International Film Festival. Not everything, um, like at least two films I know. Um, Annette, I believe it's the name, but Cherche Ronan one, Kate Winslet. Ammonite. Ammonite. And then the uh, American Utopia was the David Byrne, the Spike Lee film. I haven't gotten those films, unfortunately. I didn't get access to those. But a lot of the other ones, a lot of the big ones I have gotten and a few smaller ones, too, that I'm going in pretty fresh. And that's always very exciting. That's one of my favorite things to do at a film festival is just not know like anything besides like maybe half a log line of a film and just go in and be, you know, impressed or, you know, intrigued or whatever. But yeah, I've gotten to see about 10 films so far. I, I started uh nomadland or nomadland with um france mcdormand and i'm excited to check that one out as soon as i finish this recording but yeah i've just been trying to watch as much as possible but throughout the week i'm going to uh write a lot of reviews for the site and a few others so look out for those very excited for all of that can't wait to see what some of your favorites are out of the festival i just hope that you're staying warm well because i know it's getting cold up there in canada by way of pennsylvania yeah the library is uh, <laughs> a little chilly so far but you know i manage yeah. Yeah, and uh, we'll hopefully be doing a dedicated TIFF segment or maybe even a TIFF bonus episode. Haven't decided yet. It kind of depends on where you're at with the festival, Will, once it's all said and done. But for now, great check in and uh, very curious. I'm going to ask you all kinds of questions about how this went because I'm kind of wondering if the same thing is going to happen with Sundance, which is the festival that uh, I'm hoping to attend for the third year in a row. And if it's all virtual, I'm kind of curious of like what yeah. I might be it for. <laughs> and I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't want to jinx anything, but I'll say so far, everything has been very smooth. Um, I haven't had any like major hiccups or anything as far as the screenings themselves. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I have to assume they did a lot of like testing and a lot of make, uh, research to make sure this would work. But I mean, you know, knock on wood, nothing happens. But so far, it's been very uh, smooth and very successful on my end. So I'm excited. Excellent. OK, just one last off topic before we move on to our first review. And this off topic has to do with one of our reviews. So after our featured, we're going to talk about a new Netflix documentary called The Social Dilemma. And using the Swell app, which is where we collect voicemails for the show, don't forget to check that out in the show notes if you want to leave a voicemail for us. We asked our followers on Swell, all right, The Social Dilemma, are you going to watch it? And are you interested in a documentary like this? Kind of left it open-ended for people like, hey, we watched this. And uh, does this look interesting to you? And if you watched it, what did you think? We got a couple of responses, or we got three responses. I'm just going to play one, a very interesting one here. Uh, this is from Robin. Hi. I watched this today, and I'm going to need to re-watch it because it's, it's um, although it's very simple to watch, it's just a lot of information to process. And um, I watched it very early this morning, so I'm going to re-watch it. But I was... I had different emotions. Some of it I realized already about Zuckerberg and, and Facebook and how how they've been 
using our data in ways that, you know, are to me illegal, <laughs> to put it frankly. But to also hear and see um, the insidiousness of knowing that it's almost like knowing they're selling a drug to people to try to get them addicted to the to using the apps and with certain intentions that just really is annoying to me very upsetting especially as a grandparent and seeing you know two preteens uh grandchildren that you know already love to be on different apps and um I sent along to my son with just a comment that this was interesting and it was on Netflix. I hope he watches it. I haven't talked to him personally yet about it, but I sent it through a text. But I'm going to rewatch it because um, I think I think it's it's almost almost too much to take in at one one sitting. It's an I think an hour and a half, and it's not that I mean it's not that hard to digest. It's just I remember feeling. I think I had was having my own thoughts as I was listening to the film, and I think I might have missed some things as well. So I'm going to go back and relook at it. But my first impression is it's 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 good. It's in detail. It it shows not just about Facebook, but about other you know apps and um, how we've become so so addicted to it and why and what's the intention behind it. It's really kind of sick. Sorry to say. <laughs> okay. All right, that was from Robin. Again, if you want to leave a voicemail for us on a film that we're talking about or a question we're asking about some of the latest films out right now, uh, check out the Swell app. That's in the show notes, and you can find our account, the Cinema Hawks podcast, on there. But she's talking about The Social Dilemma, which, again, we'll get to you. This is the new Netflix documentary about how social media is doing certain things to society that might not be awesome. But before we get into that, let's start with our featured review of the week. Unpregnant. Fine, you're fine. You always use a condom, so you're fine. Hey, dude. I've got this thing. If a young woman needs a procedure, is that possible? Where's the closest facility? There's an Albuquerque in Missouri. The law won't let me get one without my parents knowing. I know we're not close anymore true and i'm the last person that you want to help accurate but i need your help and i don't have anywhere else to go go where to get the thing the the procedure so you're hiding this from your man your best friend hey girl and your jesus freak parents and you thought why not ask bailey butler to drive me hundreds of miles because she probably doesn't have anything to do anyway kind of yes bailey bailey come on i'm just messing with you you're right i do not have anything going on i thought you drove a camry Unpregnant is an original or Max original, HBO Max original film. It was written and directed by Rachel Lee Goldenberg, and it's actually based on a novel by the same name by Ted Kaplan and Jenny Hendricks. One of the reasons uh, a lot of us had our eyes on this film in particular is because it stars Haley Lou Richardson, who is kind of an indie darling, as we mentioned last week when we were kind of setting this film up. And then this also stars Barbie Ferreira, which I, I'm not as familiar with. I think she is uh, in one of the uh, Euphoria uh, episodes, or she might be in like the whole season. I haven't seen Euphoria, so someone can correct me if that's the case. I think the she's a, a lead in a, or one of the leads. I okay. I, yeah, I'm not sure. 
but I don't know. But I she's it. in that show. And uh, the film also stars Brecken Meyer, Giancarlo Esposito, Betty, who very fascinating cast. And, you know, when I was watching this film and I was sort of figuring out what what is the the real premise of this, I think my elevator pitch, or at least the elevator pitch, I think might have been given in another in an alternate universe where they were making this film after the events of 2020 would be, all right, what if we made a film about never rarely, never rarely, sometimes always mixed with Pixar's Onward? And this film is like almost a perfect equation to that. It's got kind of the plot and idea road trip mentality of never rarely, sometimes always, where a pregnant teenager played by Haley Richardson goes on a road trip in order to get an abortion in a state that will allow her to do so without her parents' permission. And she goes with kind of a goofy sidekick. Uh, they used to be closer friends. This is played by Ferreira, whose name is literally Bailey, which is almost Barley from Onward. So yeah, I couldn't get it out of my head that the, this film is very similar to those two films in a very unintentional, obviously, but very unique way, I thought. But yeah, this is a more of a comedy. It's like a buddy comedy road trip film, uh, primarily featuring female characters. Starting with you, Abby, what did you think of Unpregnant? Well, I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I feel like, uh, well, first of all, this was adapted from a young adult novel of, I think, the same name. Uh, and I think it kind of echoes that that ethos. Like the best thing that that YA literature, I think, can do for for younger readers is taking a big subject uh, and making it relatable, like through through an understandable experience that a lot of people might have and kind of normalizing that. And I feel like that is something that Unpregnant does really well. Uh, it takes the topic of teen pregnancy and abortion and doesn't make it kind of this massively dramatic histrionic thing. I think it does point out the absurdities of the situation in a really good way, but it also kind of normalizes the situation in terms of like, this is not a unique thing that this person is doing. And this does not have to be a traumatic experience. It can be an ultimately positive and and, and growth-based experience. So in that respect, I really liked it. I think that there are some kind of structural and character issues that I wasn't fully on board with, but for the most part, I thought it was pretty charming. Yeah, I'm definitely, definitely seeing that as like, yeah, it's like the inverse of Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which is a great film. But like you said, it's more about the trauma of the situation. And this one is doing a similar thing in which it is sort of telling the audience, yes, this happens, but it's kind of doing it under the veneer of a YA comedy, which I hadn't even thought that it was more of YA. But I think that is that makes a lot of sense when you watch this movie, because there is a lot of layering of the backstory. There are a lot of details that seem like they would have been fleshed out more in the YA novel that in here are streamlined a little bit for the in service of the film. And I don't think in a negative way, but yeah, especially in the way these characters are drawn, they are, they are kind of YA archetypes. I'm surprised I didn't catch that when I was watching the film, but Will Ashton, you also saw Unpregnant on HBO Max. I'm sorry. This is the first HBO Max film without even a chance of a cameo from you, but it sounds like you still enjoyed the film or still I mean, watched it. I don't think there was a chance of me having a cameo in class action park either, but oh, I yeah. forgot about that one too. Yeah. I mean, probably for the best, but in any case, yeah. So, um, yeah, my thoughts aren't too far away from Abby's. It's, um, it's a perfectly charming little movie. I, I don't know if it's one I'm going to be like remembering past this week, just because I think it's, it's a fairly slight, but it's also at the same time, you know, very sweet. And I do think what makes it work are the, uh, central 
uh, actresses, um, Haley Lou Richardson and then Barbie. Um, what's her last name? I, I forgot. Ferreira. Ferreira, yes. Who um, I don't think I've seen her in anything before this. But I mean, for me, I, yeah, I, th- I think this is yet again another great showcase for Haley Lou Richardson, who has been doing a lot of great things and proving herself in a, a bunch of different genres. So, you know, always happy to see her doing another great performance. But yeah, I mean, I think the film itself, uh, I, I wish... The plotting wasn't quite as conventional as I think it ultimately is. Um, I, I did notice there were like five screenwriters involved with this thing, even though it was based on a book. It did two kind of, of them feel... are two of them are the authors of the book. Oh, okay, there. fair enough. Yeah, but it just kind of felt like there were a number of different influences at times to the point where like the midsection movie kind of goes in this like much broader, kind of weirder direction than the rest of the film, which is kind of more humble and a little bit more like down like down to earth i guess in its approach and i I felt like i was more enamored with the film when it was kind of going for that aesthetic like an almost kind of indie aesthetic at times and i was less charmed by it when it was trying to be a little bit bigger and like broader i guess so even though i do appreciate that movie like this is a you know bigger kind of studio movie i guess in a sense i did kind of wish like this was a little bit closer i guess maybe to that indie approach though i haven't seen never rarely sometimes always so maybe that's kind of closer to what i would want uh in full but i mean as as far as the movie itself from what we got i think it's 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 fine it's nice it's a nice little movie yeah i think i think to what you're saying it's more of a feel-good film compared to never rarely sometimes always which is certainly a lot harder to watch or it's a lot more again traumatic like abby and i are saying but yeah i'm curious for this one so i'm hearing that some of it is pretty conventional abby what did you think of that mid area because i agree with will completely i think this is where the film sort of lost me even though i found these moments kind of funny they felt because it's a road trip they just sort of felt like pointless detours to me or they sort of felt like they were inserted to extend the runtime not actually progress the characters but then the film got me back when it returned to the main emotional arcs behind the character specifically with Ferreira who gets her own reasons for wanting going on for her own reasons for wanting to go on this trip besides helping out a former best friend yeah i i appreciated the character based things um and i feel like especially with Ferreira's character there could have been a little bit more there is sort of towards the end a little more explanation as to her own reasons for wanting to go but i think especially early on her character often comes off as grating for reasons that aren't fully I think explained or explored until the very end. And it can be a little bit tough to kind of get on that wavelength, especially given the situation uh, and, and given what it is she's being asked to do. I feel like the, the normal response to a lot of the situations in there in, in the film are, are not what her responses end up being. But I will say that I, I liked some of the more absurd kind of road trip elements of it because of a, a fairly specific moment that happens sort of midway through the film. There's there's just been like this really intense experience that the two of them have been through, which I don't I don't really want to ruin, although you can if you watch the movie, you can probably see it coming from a mile away. But it's 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 comedic and kind of action packed and strange. And the two girls have lost their ride and they're trying to hop a train. They fail to hop the train. And then Haley Lee Richardson has this moment where she just kind of yells at the sky about her frustration with her situation, just yelling like I shouldn't have to do this. And I feel like that's kind of the movie in a nutshell. All of this absurdity and all of this this crazy stuff that has happened on this road trip should never have had to happen it should have been easy enough for her to to call like a planned parenthood clinic and get her situation taken care of the way that she wanted to and i think it it helps a little bit to know kind of the the research behind the book so 
uh, Haley Lou Richardson's character and Barbie Ferreira's character live in uh, Columbia, Missouri, which is actually not that far from me. It's about a two and a half hour drive. And she, when she calls the, uh, when Haley Lou Richardson calls the uh, local Planned Parenthood clinic, they basically tell her that the only place that she can go to receive an abortion without telling her parents if she's under 18 is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, to my knowledge, based on the information behind the book, that's true. So the fact that she goes on this massive road trip is a situation that somebody in her circumstances would have to undertake. So in a way, by making it comedic, they they turn it into like this kind of fun and palatable story. But there's a sense of like anger and absurdity behind it to the fact where you're you're realizing the whole time that this should never have been a story like this should never have been a thing that she had to do. And I feel like that's a fairly important thing to consider. Right. I I totally agree with that sentiment. And when she's saying that or when she's going on that tirade, I'm like, yeah, but I did not like this moment of the film personally because I just didn't like how telegraphed it was. I didn't like it felt scream written. And I thought the movie would have been better served if it had gotten this across without sounding like the screenwriter or Haley Lee Richardson sort of almost breaking the fourth wall and sort of saying the whole point of the movie. On one hand, I understand that maybe some people watching it need to hear that entire thing explicitly. Uh, but for me, I was like, ah, you don't need to do that. Like, I get it. it. You know, being more subtle can go a lot farther and being effective storytelling. And when you telegraph it, I worry that people will then take the film as preachy when really it's trying to be sincere and it's trying to, to what you're saying, get across the insanity of how this is the case for this young woman who has to go to these extreme lengths. So that was just my takeaway. I can certainly understand finding this moment actually cathartic though. So I think it's just a difference of opinion there, but yeah, Will, it sounds like you, you're kind of on the side of not really liking the, the broad stuff in the middle, but uh, what about the overall message of the movie to what Abby just talked about? Yeah. I mean, I think I'm ultimately closer to where you are in this one and that like, it did feel very like scripted or telegraphed in a way that, you know, I understand that the movie itself is trying to be, you know, accessible to a wide audience and what's makes it very, make it very clear what it's trying to say. And it's not, trying to have any room for real subtlety which you know it's not really my thing per se but I, I i recognize why that's the case and i think that's fine overall but um yeah i mean i, I think that's kind of more like the like greg berlanti effect i guess where it's just like kind of uh avoiding some kind of darker more intense stuff or something that's a little bit more accessible and palatable i guess for a broader audience at least just going off of what i've seen from his work i mean i haven't seen everything but um, you know, as far as the film itself, I think for me, once again, I think what makes it work more than it doesn't is that the central friendship um, or I guess like the frenemy relationship is a little bit uh, it does feel sincere to me. Like it does feel like there is like a genuine kind of uh, chemistry and something authentic between them. And that's a credit to two actors, I believe. But yeah, as far as the plotting itself, it wasn't I mean, I, I, I appreciate what it's saying and I think it does it decent enough. But I do kind of wish it was a little bit more willing to be hone back and be a little bit more about like the authentic experience as opposed to like going for kind of the more like overly comedic stuff to the point where I felt like that took me out of the movie and it took away from what I was appreciating from the movie in the first place. But I know that that might help draw some people in that, you know, would feel like this movie might be a little bit too real or intense for them. And I understand it's also like a broad studio comedy, so it's not going to be like aiming for something that's like very realistic and authentic. But I think the the stuff that is a little bit more grounded and sincere 
stands out to me. And I think that ultimately makes the film worthwhile, but it also makes me wish that the rest of the movie kind of reflected that as a result. All right. I want to say, of course, that uh, Rachel Lee Goldenberg, who directed the film, we talked about one of her other films yeah, earlier Valley this Girl. year, Valley Girl. Yeah, she, direct, she partially directed that film, I believe. Uh, partially? If not totally directed it. And did, did she direct the whole thing? I believe so. I mean, unless there's like some behind the scenes thing that I don't know about. She did. I was just thinking, I was thinking that Amy Talkington might have also directed, but no, she just wrote the screenplay. So, okay. Valley Girl is also from this director. And I actually, I like this film uh, quite a bit more than Valley Girl. I think that it's, uh, at least in terms of the plotting and the messaging, I think that it feels like just a more essential film or a film that really fits this like HBO Max sort of thing that they're going for, where they're providing films that like with mid-sized budgets that probably you wouldn't have seen in the theater because it's not a big event movie, but you probably should have because it's it's very sweet and charming. So I'm a fan. Let's get into our final thoughts, though, and our grades, of course. Starting with you, Abby, yeah, how would, how would you sum up your feelings on Unpregnant and whether or not, do you think people should get an HBO Max subscription if they don't have one already just to watch this? Or yeah, how would, how would you recommend it to them? Um, oh, that's a, that's, that's a heavy question, just to watch this. Yeah, that would be a lot. Yeah, it would be a lot. Um, I think I'm I'm in agreement, I think, with with both of you in that some of the more telegraphed things feel a little more broad and obvious. But I do think that's a, a solid element if you're trying to draw in a broader audience, especially a younger audience. I would say I, I would give this movie a, a, a solid B. I don't know that it's necessarily worth getting an HBO subscription on your own, especially when there's a book that you could read that is the same story. Um but I do think it's pretty solid. I think if you do already have an HBO Max subscription, that this is one worth checking out. All right. So that's a B from Abby. What about you, Will? Uh, well, I mean, I would assume that most people, when they heard that I might be an American pickle, they were like, they already got the HBO Max subscription because they're like, they had to know if I made the cut like me. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, of course. No, I mean, uh, I, I don't think it's necessarily worth it just for this film. I mean, if you do have HBO Max, though, I think it's a you know perfectly fine Saturday afternoon, maybe Sunday morning type movie where, you know, it's very casual. I mean, it, it deals with some heavy stuff, but in a way that is very sweet and uh, gentle in its approach, I'd say. So, I mean, it's a it's a worthwhile rental, I guess, or like a streaming watch, I guess, or the equivalent of that. But not something I think you have to like go out of your way or like buy a whole other service just to watch. But as a film itself, you know, it's charming, it's sweet. Um, I think I'm closer to where I was with Valley Girl on it, maybe because I liked Valley Girl a little bit more than you did, even though I wasn't fully won over by that film. But um, I'm between a high C plus and a low B minus on this, and uh, I'll give it the low B minus uh, just because I think the stuff that works is sweet. And like I said, it does feel a little bit more essential than I think uh, Valley Girl was ultimately. But yeah, not like a must see or anything, but a charming weekend watch for sure. All right. I'm I'm a high B minus. I, th I think this film is pretty effective. And uh, despite some of its conventional storytelling, I think that to what Abby's saying, it's true that it is supposed to appeal to that younger audience and it's helpful for them. And I think that that's a, certainly a good thing, and especially Haley Lou Richardson. I just think this this actress is so talented. And I think she and Ferreira have, uh, I think you mentioned it already, but just this, their chemistry as a friendship really carries this movie past some of its more conventional shortcomings. So, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a de definitely a positive. Like, I would recommend this 
with HBO Max things. Like if I was telling someone, oh yeah, you're interested in HBO Max, here's some of the things I would recommend you check out with it, right? I would say, you know, of course the HBO shows that they would probably enjoy. And as far as the movies go, I would tell them about this before I would tell them about, you know, American uh, Pickle or the Anna Kendrick Love Life series. I'd say check out Unpregnant. I think that it's a, a fun watch. Them be fighting words. Oh my goodness. You're attacking well. my American pick. I did like that movie uh, more I than, know, I know. Did, than Midley, but yeah. Yeah, it's just not a film that I would tell people like, yeah, as soon as you get HBO Max, all bets are off. You're going to finally be able to watch American Pickle. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. But Unpregnant is definitely, especially if, you, if like we've already said, if you have HBO Max, certainly worth checking this one out. But it is streaming right now. You can check it out on that streaming service. And yeah, it's a, a low B minus, high B minus, and a solid B from us. So about a high B minus, low B average. Let's move on to our next film, The Social Dilemma. Now, Abby and I saw this one, Will did not, and which is fine. Will, you have a lot of TIFF films <laughs> that you're watching, so Abby and I took care of this one. And uh, The Social Dilemma is a new documentary with some dramatized narrative in it. Uh, it's one of those. It was directed by Jeff Orlowski. He also wrote it along with Davis Kumbe and Vicky Curtis. The cast of the like tradition, kind of more traditional narrative that kind of gets weaved in. The central cast features Skylar Rosando, Kara Hayward from uh, Moonrise Kingdom and To the Stars, and then also Vincent Kartheiser, who you'll recognize from Mad Men. And the documentary is, as we kind of were alluding to in Off Topics earlier, it's sort of exploring how the rise of social media is causing real damage to society. And we hear from people who used to work at these tech companies and how they know firsthand, here's what's happening. Here's how users are getting exploited. And something that's very interesting about this documentary is it goes a step further. It's saying we have these preconceived notions of how we're sort of the product. And that's how we get social media for free. But it actually goes a bit deeper than that. It's not just that we're the product, but the sort of predictive behaviors around what we're going to do that is more of what they're trying to exploit through things like data mining and surveillance capitalism and how all of it is being used for politics and how it's creating anxiety in the next generation, how it's making people addicted to something that can sort of turn you in a negative direction toward conspiracy theories and uh, very hateful movements. And it's a hard thing to watch. I've been talking about this documentary with several people who have seen it. And it's one of those documentaries where I've described it to people where I don't feel like I've been this provoked to change a central behavior that I have since I watched something like Inconvenient Truth. This, this film, this documentary just really provoked something in me. It got me to think really deeply about some of the habits that I have and a lot of the echo chambers that I exist in and how I'm sort of letting them control me without even realizing that I don't have as much agency with social media as I like to think that I do. So I found this documentary pretty effective. It premiered at Sundance, but I'm curious, Abby, what you think of this one. Not everyone's loving this. Some people are really looking at this and saying, and heaping some criticism, but where are you at? I'd be curious to hear what other criticisms people have of this. I am mixed to mostly negative on this. Um, I I think that the information that's being conveyed in the documentary, I I mean, I'm not going to discount its truth or importance. I think it's all accurate and I think it's all true. Um, and I do appreciate the fact that it's a lot of that information is coming to you from people who have firsthand experience working on those platforms. 
But a lot of it isn't new knowledge to me, especially the stuff that takes up the first like two thirds of the movie. Um, things about public image and uh, overall impact on people's self-esteem and mental health. That's stuff that's been going on basically since Facebook was created. I think the uh, the information about advertising, I think, is is revealing. And I mean, I may be a little bit biased about this because my day job involves marketing, but I didn't necessarily see some of those aspects as as evil as the movie would like you to think they are. I think definitely some of those tools are being used negatively by some places, but not all of it. And often it's stuff that's used to get organizations to help target their stuff in ways that'll make it more effective. So, I mean, it's it's negative some of the time, but not 100% of the time. The stuff that really interested me was more kind of fake news and and politics based. Um, I think I would have appreciated it if if the movie had, or if the documentary had focused almost entirely on that, because I feel like that is a conversation that we are having more and more right now and something that I think requires a lot of information and critical thinking skills to kind of navigate your way around. So I think my my overall feeling of that, and sorry, heavy sigh, because I get I get pretty worked up about some of this stuff. I think that there there are some good essential truths there, but I feel like there's a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of information that isn't necessarily new. There's a lot of uh, sensationalizing of things that are a little more nuanced, I think, than the documentary would like to give credit to. The dramatized elements, I thought, felt a little extreme and kind of hokey, but uh, I did appreciate the fact that there was a call for more more regulation and more kind of self policing, um, which I really feel like are the two things that are probably going to be the most helpful to kind of lift us out of the current situation that we find ourselves in. All right. Yeah. To what you were saying before, the some of the criticism I've seen, kind of similar to what you're talking about, sort of calling it simplistic. There was a review of this on The Verge where they sort of tried to try to make it sound like this film is just saying that all of our woes can be solved if we delete our Facebook accounts, but that's not really the case. And I read the review. I, I didn't think it was a ve- personally. I didn't think it was a very fair reading of this. Where I think that it's kind of saying that the damage has already been done, and we're already in this situation. And I think some people are very hopeful that we're going to adapt and kind of on our own, we're going to figure out what to do about it. Um, but at the same time, saying we need regulation, we need actual like government intervention to rein in the tech companies. So. Yeah, you know, watching this, I had a similar feeling you did in the sense that a lot of this information is not new. You're you're definitely right about that. I, I also do a lot of marketing uh, for my day job, and I'm plenty aware of a lot of this stuff. I think what changed it though for me because I've seen other documentaries get into this feel good man, which we were supposed to review last week. Some listeners, a lot of listeners don't actually know we were, we were supposed to review class action park and feel good man last week. We had uh, technical difficulties and we had to nix those two reviews, unfortunately, but I thought feel good man feels good man was very informative in that sense as well. Just kind of getting into how radicalized social media groups are kind of hijacking some of our pop culture in ways that are very, uh, very unfortunate for sure. But in the sense that even though I knew a lot of this information, what I appreciated in this documentary is how it was explained concisely, how there were a lot of really good 
facts and figures behind it that were readable, that were easy to digest. I got the feeling that somebody who is not predisposed to agreeing with this documentary could watch this and actually, in my in my situation too, feel a little bit like, okay, we actually need to do something about this. Um, I get the sense I've talked to people who really think that it's not that big of a deal and who think that what social media is doing to preteens in particular is something that kind of like how they show people, they show some of the other side of that argument in the documentary. It's a very heavy handed documentary. It's not very, you know, both sides ish, but it just sort of show the other side of that. It was like, look, we're, you know, just like any new technology that comes along, we will adapt. We will figure out how to fix this. But I think what the documentary points out is that the root of the problem is very systemic and it's because there's so much power being held over the entire world. That was the kind of stuff that I think people need reminding who already know, and then people need to wake up to this, who have no real idea of the implications, um, for sure. I think that in terms of like the advertising data, I, I didn't get the sense that it was saying that all advertising is evil. I think it. I, I got the sense that it can be neutral. Like advertising is certainly something that, in, in terms of like data mining can be a nuanced thing that we have control over. I, I guess I just got the sense that it was sensationalizing for the sake of getting the message across that we're not doing anything about this and it's like running buck wild. And that I felt pretty kin to. I, I felt that that was accurately described personally. Yeah, I think I agree with that. It's if you're not necessarily on the the wavelength of, sorry, if you if you find yourself as somebody who might be predisposed to not caring or actively disagreeing with some of the ideas that come up in the film. I feel like this movie does provide some pretty good arguments, data-based arguments that can help change your mind. And I feel like that, that could be a helpful thing. And again, I think a lot of this comes from personal experience, also my day job. Um, I don't want to act like I'm quote unquote more enlightened than anybody, but they're just because I live so much of my life online. There's a lot of this that I feel like I had experienced in some way, shape or form. But uh, I do think it's in, it's important to get that information out there. Um, I do feel like there were parts of it that were a little bit heavy handed. But also, if you're trying to convince somebody, sometimes that's the best way to do it. Yeah, it's kind of it's almost similar to what we were saying about Unpregnant in a way of, yeah, the, at least the message is getting across and that that has value. Um, and so we shouldn't dismiss it out of hand, but at the same time, I think it's reasonable to criticize. So I, I'll definitely criticize certain things as well. It's not like I'm fully positive or anything. Uh, I think that uh, I, I wanted to mention this before. I wanted to wait here. The feel what feels good man does a lot better is it points out that this problem is also fueled by things like 4chan and Reddit and sort of the way social media is pushing us into these corners. This film kind of dives into the echo chamber, but where I'll agree with you, um, I, I think what I'm hearing from you is that it's not all because of social media or it's not all because of like one app, which is what the Verge article is getting at. It's not all because of Facebook. And I think this film really goes after Facebook. As much as I want to go after Facebook, I'm not a fan of Facebook, broadly speaking. I, I do think that there wasn't enough blame being thrown around. I think Facebook and Google sort of get the brunt of it. And I think it's probably because a lot of the people they interviewed were being far more or going a lot farther with Google and Facebook, particularly the former Google employee who has now started his own movement against what his company is doing right now. And I found all of that pretty, pretty effective for sure. But I guess where I give the film more credit, uh, and, and I'll say too, 
I uh, agree 100% that the dramatized stuff is extremely hokey and it's very, very hit or miss, usually miss. But I do appreciate that it does provide a visual, easy to understand example. It's almost like uh, tech for dummies in a little bit of a way. It's kind of holding your hand. But I do appreciate that it is doing that to sort of break things up and it, it makes this the documentary feel better paced because it's not tons of information. I do like that it is showing its work. And it's saying like, okay, we're going to tell you this really complicated thing, explain it, and then we're going to use a dramatized thing to really nail it home. And I think that's what I appreciate about the documentary, documentary the most is that it's very easy to watch it and learn something and have it retain, I think. And I think that's why I, I put it a cut above some of the other documentaries I've seen in this vein. And the last thing I'll say, I, I personally have, like I mentioned before, I've been convicted by this documentary to improve and actually change my own social media habits. Ever since I saw this, I have been way more aware or I've been way more cognizant of how often I pick up my phone, how much emotional energy I'm investing into things like Twitter and things like Instagram. And I've been finding myself feeling less anxious after just doing this for a few days. And we didn't, we didn't have a chance to play this. We had another voicemail from somebody about this who had deactivated Facebook, uh, I think like a few weeks ago or a month ago. And he was talking about, yeah, my life has improved dramatically. And I think this documentary could help maybe inspire people to look into doing that. So I want, I want to definitely ca caveat my review with certainly some people are going to find things in this documentary that are grueling, but I think on the whole, it is very instructive and various uh, useful information to glean from. Yeah. I, I think I would, I would tend to agree with that. I feel like there's there's a much larger philosophical discussion to be had about kind of why we tend towards certain ways and certain uses of social media. And I think you're right that it feels good, man, I think gets into the sort of primal nature of that a little bit better than than this film does. And that I think to me is naturally a much more interesting subject. But yeah, I think that there are there are some takeaways from this that I think are are worth are 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 worth implementing considering like the amount of time that you spend using social media. And I feel like that, that if nothing else, the film will have an impact on me in that regard, like paying more attention to how many hours I like while away on Twitter or Instagram and the excuses that I give myself for doing that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there are, there are good lessons to be learned here. I, I don't know that I, I felt that formally it all worked, but it's, it does at least if nothing else, spark a conversation that's worth having. All right. I am a high B on this. I think a lot of people should check it out. It's on Netflix right now, and I think it's it's very accessible, and I'm glad that a lot of people can see it if they're interested. And I think in terms of the filmmaking and everything put together, I end up as a high B. But where are you at, Abby? I'm I'm a bit lower on the on the scale. Um, I think it's, it's a worthwhile discussion and topic. Um, I'm not sure that I was fully on board with all of the ways that it was presented, but I do appreciate that the film shows its work and, um, like, as you said, tries to talk to people who are actually active in the industry and have practical insight. Um, I would go probably a, uh, a C plus, honestly, uh, which I know is kind of a, I, I, I expect kind of lower, a heavy so. grade, but <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's, I, yeah, as a C plus, I think for, for effort, but yeah, it's, I feel like that's a conversation that, could be and has been done better by other folks. I think we can definitely agree that an even better version of this documentary is 
out there to be made perhaps, but uh, I definitely hope that's the case. I would love to see an even better version of this personally, but all right, that is the social dilemma. I can't remember the last time Abby and I were this far apart in our grades, but I love it. Uh, it shows that a nice range of opinion on this new documentary, uh, depending on what you thought of our thoughts, definitely hope some of you check it out and decide for yourself what you think. Uh, again, it is on Netflix now. Let's move on to our next film, another Netflix film. And uh, I said next film and another Netflix film, and it sounded very similar. Um, this is a new French coming of age drama, kind of a dark drama with some comedic elements. But I think some people call this a comedy. I think that might be going a bit far, uh, depending on your read of the film. But this was written and directed by, uh, and, and I'm going to butcher this name. I apologize. I don't speak French, so I, I don't know how to pronounce the name uh, accurately. But I think it's Mamuna Ducre or something like that in that sense, in that zone. So again, I apologize. She is a French Senegalese uh, director. This is her first film and her film stars Fatia Youssef, Medina El-Aidi Esther Gehuro, a lot of unfamiliar faces, I think, to some people out here in the West. But the movie itself, Cuties, follows a an 11-year-old girl who is growing up Muslim and she finds herself fascinated by a group of other preteens who are obsessed with dance. And she decides that she wants to get ingrained in their little clique. And she is particularly fascinated by some of the hypersexualized dancing competitions that they do. And she goes on a path essentially toward how this hypersexualization is going to potentially damage her relationships with her family, how it could uh, take her down a pretty dark path as a young girl. Now, we have to explain some backstory with this film. It premiered at Sundance and it won an award. A lot of people were cherishing this film as or celebrating this film as something that really goes after some of the some of the ways some of the ways that our culture across the world kind of put puts preteens in a position where they emulate very grotesque behavior for their generation, or it sort of celebrates, like I said before, hypersexualization. And for that reason, a lot of people watched this and said, this is a very important movie. This is something that people should watch. And you know, it could start discussions about how much in our pop culture we're, a lot, we're sort of like imparting onto the next generation. Unfortunately, the film, when it was bought by Netflix, had a poster that they put out. And some complete, and I, I, I hesitate to say, some, say it to this extreme, but some complete and utter moron or a series of morons decided that the poster, the marketing for this kind of movie would feature these young girls in like dance attire in that hypersexualized nature it is criticizing. And this created a maelstrom of controversy that is, to me is infuriating because a lot of people now are cherry picking clips out of this movie. People I know in my real life who don't watch movies, who never would have heard of this movie or said anything about it, are now using this as part of a campaign to somehow criticize or get into these, like we, we talked about global conspiracies already in this episode, but get into this global pedophilia conspiracy fueled by things like QAnon, that this film is trying to turn people into pedophiles, essentially. And it, it's completely false. People who've never seen this film, who don't actually know anything about it, are parroting and echoing what a bunch of agitators on the far-right political spectrum are sending out simply to make people upset, simply to try to provoke a reaction out of people because they see an opportunity to stick it to Hollywood. Even though Hollywood did not make this movie, this is a film that was made in France, 
And this is the kind of film that's been made before, but because some bozo made a marketing poster that was completely ill-informed, we now have to deal with this. We now have to weigh this film and what it's saying against what a bunch of bad faith people are saying about it and what some good faith are saying people are saying because they trust those people. And so this is a this is a bit of a minefield and I understand we we have to be really careful in how we talk about this because it's not like this is a film without flaws. It's not like it's a film that I think we can come away saying it perfectly uh avoids some of the pitfalls you could assign to it in terms of how it portrays these women, but we should just get it off from the get-go. This was directed by a woman and the intent of the film is clear if you watch it. But all of that out of the way, I'm sorry for the long preamble. Uh, I know, Abby, you saw this film. I Will, I believe you did not see this, correct? Uh, yeah, no, I didn't watch it. Abby, I want to know from you, despite the controversy or maybe because of it or, or any sort of mix, I don't know how you want to approach this, but definitely, definitely just want to hear what you think of Cuties. Yeah, it's interesting that we talked about the social dilemma and then talked about this because I feel like there's... There's a lot of kind of inter intermarriage of of themes between the stuff that that documentary was talking about and the way that this movie was discussed online. Uh, yeah, largely by people who hadn't seen it uh, and largely based upon a marketing campaign, which for one reason or another seems to have been successful. Uh, it's on the front page of Netflix and it's in the top 10, which for French subtitled film I would imagine is probably not a common thing for for Netflix in the U.S. So I guess it's successful from a number standpoint, um, but from a public discourse standpoint, it's it's definitely been a pretty irritating thing to have to deal with for the last few days. As far as the movie itself goes, I mean, I I feel like it's it's fairly clear in showing the the negative impacts of hypersexualized popular culture and social media on young girls, uh, especially in in the particular circumstance that it's giving. There are several performance elements of it where the girls are in competition, dance competition, where they're doing these hypersexualized moves. And the 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 response from judges and adults in the audience almost uniformly is one of disgust, which it should be. <laughs> that these are people who are completely freaked out and turned off by the idea that these girls would want to to behave in that way and would see that as something that would be appealing coming from an 11-year-old. I think overall, the movie is kind of looking at, at themes of being forced to grow up too soon and what that does to, to young girls. The main character, Amy, is a uh, Senegalese immigrant who has just arrived in Paris with her mom and her two younger brothers, one who's like four or five and one who's a baby. And because she's 11, she's the oldest girl, she's kind of expected to be their surrogate mom and take care of them. And part of the way through the movie, they discover that her father has taken a second wife. He's, he's still in Senegal. And so when he joins them in Paris, he will be bringing that second wife, which kind of throws the whole family into turmoil. And it's shortly after that, that she kind of becomes aware of the, the dance group at her school and becomes really interested in it. And it almost turns into a kind of mania in her attempt to try and fit in with these girls uh, and kind of reject the culture that she's been part of up to that point, the culture of her of her family, basically. So it's it's a story about somebody who is kind of trying to navigate two very different cultures and is being asked to take on more mature roles in both of them than she is psychologically ready to handle. Like both from her mother, who is essentially making her be an adult before she is ready to become one. 
and also from these girls that she's interacting with, who she sees a lot of, I guess, ideas of liberation and and freedom in because of the way that they act. But these girls are are not good role models for her. And that's made pretty clear throughout. And it's also they're also acting this way because a lot of the time they are unsupervised by their own parents. So they're kind of making up their own rules as they go along. And I feel like by the end of the film, it's become pretty, pretty obvious that what Amy, the main character, needed the whole time was to to be able to have a healthy childhood, to be able to have a girlhood. And I think that it kind of comes down on 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 the side of just there. There's there's a lot of extremes in the world. And when you impose those extremes on someone who is young and impressionable and isn't yet fully formed in their understanding of how to walk in the world that we live in, it can have some really frightening and negative effects. So a little bit like the social dilemma, we need to be careful about the way that we are interacting with and treating and expecting things from from younger people, especially young girls. That's that's my TED talk. Thank you for coming. Yes. I No, I, I think it's spot on. You know, I think that it is ironic because the message of this movie, what this movie is trying to say about kids should have time to just be kids. They shouldn't be emulating these older adults and what they're doing. And there's a reason it's happening. This is what the the critics of the film who are saying that it's a negative influence. This is what they're saying about their own kids of like, I wish Netflix wouldn't do this because kids shouldn't see this sort of thing. First of all, I think this is not a movie for kids to watch. It's rated appropriately. And the point of the film is not for kids to see it and to emulate the behavior. It would be like saying the 400 blows is a bad influence on young kids who might be getting into truancy. It's like, no, that movie was not for kids to watch. That movie and this movie, it's for parents who are, or prospective parents, who are naive about what kids are going through. And I think it's instructive on how do kids get to this point where they turn into hypersexualized people way before that's appropriate and how they can get taken advantage of and how these situations happen. I think that's where the film is most effective. I really like how you described it as a young girl trying to navigate two cultures. And I think the reason she wants this to be in this clique, she wants these friends, she wants this dance competition is because she's escaping an oppressive family life. And I think that it's done in a very subtle, but very apparent way if you're paying attention. And it really shows you how uh, like you said, when you put these kids and you try to make them grow up too soon, they're going to rebel. They're going to find other places where they can separate themselves more forcefully from an identity that causes them emotional trauma. And that is what's happening to this young girl. And all of the scenes where she's doing horrific things that you do not think she should be doing, it is instructive on how she got to this point. Now, all of that said, I am a little bit torn with some of the decisions the director makes here to get that point across. I think it does sort of cross the line a few times where it is so uncomfortable and it's so hard to watch. I struggle to kind of be on this film's side completely. And I think that there are, there are people who they do take these clips out of context, but it is true that these clips are still there. And I think it is a valid concern to say, even in a film that is for adults to watch, is it sort of um, indirectly promoting an image that should not be out there. And I do wrestle with that a bit. I think that that is a fair and a valid concern that people will have. Now, at the same time, I don't think that it would be made as big of a deal of uh, in any other situation, if only because of how Netflix mishandled this entire thing. Uh, I should say Netflix's marketing or whoever was behind all of this. 
But at, at the end of it, I would say that I wish people would have more of that good faith conversation about how far this film takes it. It makes me sad to admit that I think that down the line, I could see people looking at this film as tame compared to what is going to come out in the future unrelated to this. And I, I think that is worth pointing out as well. But yeah, I, again, I'm a little bit torn, but I mean, yeah, what, what did you fall on that, Abby, in terms of getting through this movie and being able to sort of endure some of those more troubling scenes? Yeah, there's, there is some stuff in the film that is kind of genuinely surprising that it happens as fast as it does uh, and that it happens that there are some elements of it that are, are, are fairly jarring there. I mean, there's nothing, I don't think that we see that's explicit, but the stuff that's implied is pretty intense. And I, I would say that not all of that feels fully accurate to at least, well, to my own experience, which is fairly limited. Uh, and that may be different, but yeah, there, there are some things in there that I, I think a lot of viewers would have trouble kind of logically being on board with. I think it does try to communicate that Amy, the the main character, is so desperate to escape one form of adulthood and enter another that she kind of loses all boundaries and sense of propriety, which goes to some pretty extreme spots. I do think it makes her a little less believable as a character, and I feel like that's kind of a flaw of the film. Yeah, um, I agree with that. But yeah, but I, I, I do like the idea that it's trying to convey, even if it does kind of come off as a little more extreme than it should. Yeah, I'm not sure. So getting into our final grades, I'm not sure if I'm a lot lower than you or maybe we're closer, but uh, yeah, I'd say that I'm like a, a solid B minus on this because uh, in addition to what you said about the main character not really being believable, despite a really great performance, I, I think the I think uh, Fatia Youssef is really good in this and she really commits to the role and she deserves to be commended, uh, especially for her young age. I do think, and on top of that, I think the movie is a bit slow. I think it takes a little too long. I mean, you kind of said that it was rushed, and that's true in terms of like how her character sort of develops. But I think there are some padded scenes here that aren't as necessary, at least in my view. You might disagree because they might inform kind of what you're talking about in terms of like really showing her traumatic life, pushing her into this new life. But for me, I, th I thought that it, this could have been streamlined a little bit more because Ultimately, it goes to an ending that is satisfactory in the sense that it gets its point across, I think, in the best way it can, where it's turning what would otherwise be a whiplash moment into a whiplash of the movie into a whiplash emotional <laughs> kind of uh, feeling. And that's that's where I think the film, it does come together. It does get to the point I think it needs to get to. But I think because it's so extremely uncomfortable along the way, I'm pretty torn on this film. But I, I'm still I'm still up for telling people that depending on where you're at cinematically, this might be worth a watch uh, just in the sense of uh, because of some of its filmmaking and because of these performances and what this is saying about culture in a way that is is helpful, I think, like I said, for adults who, again, are pretty naive about the life of teenagers, specifically preteens. It gets into what we were talking about with Social Dilemma, where anxiety and depression, it's happening because of certain ways that social media is being mishandled and onto the next generation or how the next generation is suffering from certain trends. And I use that term in both meanings. Um, so yeah, mid B minus for me. What about you? Yeah, John, I'd, I'd say we're probably around the same spot. I would give this a B minus as well um, for, for a lot of the same reasons. Um, I think it's, I, I believe it's this filmmaker's first movie. Is that right? Yes, this is her directorial debut. And I'm not sure what else she's worked on, to be honest. Okay, yeah, it's, I'd, I'd say it's a strong first outing, but it does feel like a first film in terms of 
it having a message that it wants to get across very strongly and sometimes to the detriment of the storytelling. But I do think it's a message worth considering. And I do think it's a perspective that is is fairly unique and can potentially open up some good some good space for conversation that I think is worth having, kind of like I said with with social dilemma. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say we're about the same. I'd give it a B minus. All right. We did it, Abby. We reviewed the very difficult to review movie. Great job. All right. Hooray. Yay. <laughs> that was a tough one. And uh, we have one more. I know, Will, you've been very patient with us, but we're, we're going to get to you one more film before Will will finish us out with something he saw. And uh, I'm going to be pretty quick with this one. Pretty self-explanatory. I watched the new, new another Netflix film. Just dawned on me. Three Netflix films in a row. Uh, but this one is called Alive or Hashtag Alive. This is a new South Korean zombie film. It was directed by Cho Il Hyung. And it stars Yu In, who you might recognize from Burning, and somebody else, Park Sing-hae, who I was unaware of until I saw this movie, but I will mention her again briefly. So like I said, this just came out on Netflix. It takes place during a zombie apocalypse happening in Seoul, Korea. And in Seoul, you might understand, of course, that there are a lot of apartment complexes that are bunched together. So the premise of this movie is what if you are a, in this case, a young man or a young woman in one of these apartment complexes, you're in your apartment, you're by yourself, and all of a sudden the zombie apocalypse happens. Uh, Tons of people all around you are turning into zombies. The people who are not zombies are quickly dying and you are essentially trapped. And these zombies in particular are slightly smarter. They can mimic behaviors of what they were like as humans. It's a little similar to Dead Don't Die, but we've seen this sort of thing in some of the Romero ones where some of them can open doors. Some of them can climb buildings, like if they were a firefighter, for example. So it adds this sort of unpredictability to the zombies meant to terrify our central protagonist, who is Yua In. He's kind of a melodramatic loner, which very similar to his burning character, but different in a lot of key ways. And we watch him as he goes weeks of trying to survive. This is a more survivalist zombie thriller than some of the more action-heavy ones we've seen in the past. And the thing that I do think is pretty interesting about this film, that it does differently with the zombie aesthetic, because I'm sick of zombies. I am. A lot of people are. I certainly am. Just got through Last of Us Part Two. That was a lot of zombie for me. And so I've gotten my zombie fix for 2020. It was already pretty low. So watching this film was hard. I, I had to sort of force myself to see it because... I was curious in the talent behind the camera and, of course, in the central performances. And I'm glad I saw this because despite how generic and conventional it can kind of be with zombie roles, it doesn't try a lot of new things, it still told a unique idea or it still told something differently about the zombie apocalypse, which is what if it happened during the height of our social media age. I feel like this episode is extra about social media. I don't know why, but that is absolutely the case. And so I'm just rolling with it. But in this, in the case of Alive, I think it is pretty effective because it's, as the name sort of implies, it, it's sort of getting at how we would be able, left to our own devices these days, a lot of us aren't survivalists. <laughs> like, you know, people of a previous generation or several generations ago would have been, but we do still have our own strengths and our own resources. And one of them is social media, using it to broadcast yourself or using it to telegraph where you are and using it to keep yourself sane. This is yet another film that is 
I hate to say the word, but timely, considering uh, a lot of us for a majority of this year have been kind of trapped at home and felt like everything around us is on fire, me in particular, considering what's going on in California right now. And so a lot of that does make this film kind of hard to sit through because I don't know about you all. I'm not in the mood to be reminded of how inconvenient and uh, just how uncertain and anxious this whole thing can feel. Alive is certainly a heavy, heavy extreme of that, of course, but it's still tackling on those feelings of isolation and feeling like the world is slowly falling apart and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's kind of the first half of the movie. And I think if you can get through that first half, which is pretty tough, it sort of shifts into something a little bit better uh, than its previous. I think the first half does a great job to really nail down the rules of this world, to nail down how limited our character is so that the second half can sort of prosper. And I think that is done to very good effect and why I ended up kind of liking this movie a good bit and recommend it to anyone who is not too sick of zombie films. And I have to credit a lot of it to Park Shin-Hei. So she's an actress who's much better known in South Korea. I was not aware of her. For me, both the character and the actress just sort of come out of nowhere. And I, as soon as she comes along, there is something about her where her presence and the way that she commands a scene are immediately revealing. And the thing I like most about this film is that it has introduced me to what could be one of the better actors working today? I just had no idea. And so I did a little bit of research and I found out, oh, she is considered one of the best actors right now in South Korea, especially for her age. We're like the same age. She was uh, like 29, 30. And I really hope that this Netflix zombie movie introduces a lot of Americans like me, a lot of people out here in the West to this actor because she could be like an A-lister upon an A-lister in terms of talent alone. So I, I was very, I think that this is a great discovery for, for me personally and a, a, an actor, like I said, a lot of people are already aware of. And on top of that, we get Yuan, who is of course uh, very good. And I thought he really, <laughs> he really brought it in burning. And in here he continues what I think is a, a good streak of films that understand what is so intriguing about him as an actor as sort of a very flawed but almost kind of relatable and sympathetic idiot in a lot of cases. And that's certainly the case in Alive. Uh, I do want to recommend this one. I think that it is worth checking out again, if you can get through the first half and I'm, I'm really glad I saw this. I'm glad I forced myself to watch another zombie movies. Uh, I'm a high B almost a B plus. I think that yeah, there are of course shortcomings and I think that it's not the, most it's not the flashiest film <laughs> you know the the action isn't that great but there are really exciting scenes i think it's well staged i think it's a great concept and has great actors so high b for me almost a b plus uh, i definitely hope people check it out so that is hashtag alive all right one last film for us this week and will you you've been patient you've been uh, hanging in there we appreciate it we have one last film that you saw this is a new documentary what is it yeah, this is a new Amazon Prime documentary, I believe. I don't know if it's still going forward with its theatrical release, but it's going to be hitting the site pretty soon. And it, uh, it did come out in limited theatrical release on the 9th, so a few days ago. So it's coinciding. Yeah, I mean, I, I said I wasn't sure because I know um, the local release, I guess it was supposed to get some theatrical release here. And then I got an email a couple of days afterwards that said it wasn't coming to theaters in this area. But I wasn't sure if that was like a national thing or if that was just locally. But um in any case 
this is a documentary about voter suppression, which is uh, something that's also very timely this year. Ah, perfect. So, um, I think you you might have uh, teed that one up already, but uh, in case that that point hasn't been made very clear with this uh, episode, we're talking about a lot of timely and political things. So, if you're still listening, uh, good on you. In any case, um, yeah. So this movie it comes from uh, two filmmakers, Liz Garbus and Lisa Cortez. And it's primarily following uh, Stacey Abrams, who I believe is, um, what was he? she was in Georgia, a Georgia politician. Yeah, she was, she was running for the Georgia governorship and she lost to, uh, I think, George Kemp is his name? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, and it was a very close race. And then um, she eventually really didn't concede with that, or at least like it took a while before she did. I, I don't exactly know for sure. But yeah, to set the stage a little bit in case listeners don't yeah. know, it was actually very recent that we found out that um, under Kemp, who was sort of running the legislature for this election, uh, I think uh, hundreds of thousands of voters were purged from the rolls, and she only lost by something like 50,000 votes. So that's, that's like a recent thing that just came out, that the voter suppression in that state is pretty undeniable at this point. Yeah, so it, it tees off with that um, introduction, like a very recent thing that happened where it's very clear that voter suppression has been going on throughout the nation of late, including in the 2016 election to a certain extent as well. But this uh, documentary, for the most part, it goes back in time throughout our nation's history and just explores how this has happened primarily to uh, poor and disenfranchised people uh, of color as well, and how this has been a prevalent problem throughout the nation. This isn't just something that's been a talking point uh, throughout the last few years. It's something that's been going on building up for a while. And now people are becoming more aware of it and becoming more vocal of it, especially with social media. And then this case uh, with Stacey Abrams has also really brought that to the forefront. And the documentary itself, I mean, for the most part, it's another documentary where it's like people sitting down in rooms and talking about stuff. So I, I imagine this movie may not be something that's going to like hit a uh, audience that's like off on a Friday night and just want to like watch something fun and relaxing. I do think this is going to be a type of film where like if you are interested in this thing, you're going to watch it. If you're not really interested in this thing, you may be uh you know, not willing to watch it or maybe like put it off, which um, is unfortunate because I think this movie, if you pretty much know all this stuff, I don't think you're going to learn anything particularly new about this process. But if you are someone who is like maybe a little bit more like unaware, or like maybe closer to center and not fully aware of the extent of how this how long this has been going on for and like some of the details about this, I guess I was somewhere in between where it's like I knew about voter suppression. And I knew that this has been a problem throughout history, especially uh, in our recent history, but I did know the full extent of some of the details and it was very informative. And I think it's done in a way that's pretty presentable and matter of fact without losing uh, like, I don't know if entertainment value is the correct word here, but like it is a very uh, engaging film in that sense. Like it does get, keep you involved. And even when it does kind of feel like a history lesson, uh, the film itself does a lot of with like animation and uh, editing, I think in a way that keeps your uh, interests involved throughout. Now, I don't think the film itself is particularly like amazing as far as its approach. I think it's more accessible than anything. Like, I think the fact that exists is probably the like uphill battle, I think, in that like it does have a uh, streaming service that's going to play it for a pretty broad audience. And I think the fact that it is available and might inform people about this is like the battle more than the fact that if it's good or bad. But I do think, you know, as a film that is timely, it is pretty well presented. And I do think Stacey Abrams is a pretty engaging uh, central figure in this who does break it down in a pretty uh, straightforward and uh, ultimately pretty engaging way. I think 
in that sense it does work i don't think it's something that's like going to be a like amazing tour de force for the documentary genre and i don't know if it's going to be um as accessible after this election because it's very much centered around this election and based on things are happening very much right now so i don't know what the shelf life this movie is going to look like even though i do feel like voter suppression is going to be a prevalent problem throughout uh our history unfortunately and our present and our future but um yeah as far as the movie itself i mean it's a good solid like b minus documentary like i think what it's saying is more important than like how it's done which i think is just more fine than good but i do think ultimately it is a worthwhile watch and for that i think a pretty solid b minus is a good grade for it that's a b minus for all in the fight for democracy is on prime video right now this documentary sounds like it's of a piece with uh, slay the dragon which is the gerrymandering documentary that touches upon voter suppression but yeah it sounds like these are two films that kind of go together a little bit if you want a full picture of voter suppression in terms of uh, how states are gerrymandered to disenfranchise the vote in certain counties then this film kind of gets into the other side of it where the actual polls or the actual voter uh, the actual voters themselves are going through other tactics that are keeping them from getting their right to vote out there. So uh, I would definitely kick in that uh, documentary as well. Maybe if you any listeners check out All In, you might want to check out Slay the Dragon right after. Yeah, I mean, gerrymandering does come up, but not as much as I imagine it does in that documentary. But yeah, I would say that they I mean, I haven't seen yeah. Slay the Dragon, but I imagine they do go hand in hand pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Like I said, I think uh, Slay the Dragon is the inverse where it's mostly about gerrymandering, but then it gets into the voter suppression stuff. Yeah, I was I was just going to say the same thing that that it sounded like those two would go together really well and I actually I quite liked Slay the Dragon. So, I imagine if you wanted to have like a a pro democratic process double feature that you could do a lot worse. That sounds like a pretty yeah. fun time. <laughs> yeah. And I will say about this film uh just because we have been fairly political. I mean, even though this documentary is fairly left leaning, I do think it's more accessible maybe than I might suggest in that like I think it's just addressing that this is a problem throughout like the nation, no matter like what side you are, like voting is the essential right yeah. for Americans. So I think, you know, if if you're worried it's going to be like too left leaning and stuff, I would say still check it out anyway. I think it's pretty accessible for both political parties, but just something to keep in mind. I, I agree totally. I think that uh, in, in terms of like voting, I think it is a bipartisan uh, thing or like the solution should be bipartisan. I think we should all be on the same side of making sure that people should be able to vote. And the vote should be protected. And that that is a fundamental thing about this country. I hate that it's been so politicized, but that's kind of where we're at. So where we're at with this episode of Cinemaholics is I think we're all pretty exhausted, uh, probably emotionally from all of these reviews. These are some heavy movies. It's fun that we started off. It's good that we started off with Unpregnant, which is a far less complicated, although it still has its own, you know, it's, I mean, it's literally an abortion comedy. What are you going to do? But um, all right, let's let's uh, let's finish this out with what's coming out next week. First up, there is, oh, you guessed it, another political documentary. How fun, the way I see it from Focus Features, which is uh, about the about uh, Barack Obama's chief uh, White House photographer, Pete Souza. Is that I follow the, Pete Souza uh, on Instagram. Is that Don Porter as well, who did the yes, John Lewis Yes, directed and produced yeah. it. Yeah, Don Porter is behind this. Um, so that is uh, premiering at Toronto International Film Festival, and it hits limited release this weekend. We're trying to get a written review of the film out 
by the time you are listening to this episode. Uh, but the big film next week is probably going to be The Devil All the Time. This is a new Netflix psychological thriller. It's based on a novel. Um, this is from Antonio Campos. It's produced by Jake Gyllenhaal. And the cast is fierce. We're talking Tom Holland, Bill Skarsgård, Riley Keough, Jason Clark, Sebastian Stan, Haley Bennett, Eliza Scanlon, Mia Wasikowski, and Robert Pattinson. This movie... I don't know much about it. I've avoided the trailers. I've avoided any sort of synopsis. I'm just pumped to see it. And uh, Abby, I think you already saw it. You might be saving some of your uh, your thoughts on this one for our actual review. Yeah, I I, I will save my actual thoughts. But uh, yeah, overall, I'm I'm excited to talk about this one with you. There's there's a lot to discuss. That's going to be coming out on Wednesday. And then we have some VOD things, of course. Uh, another one that I have my eye on is The Nest, which we're working on trying to get a review out for that uh, in written form. This is from IFC. It's a thriller starring Jude Law and Carrie Coon. Then we also have Antebellum, which is a Lionsgate horror, which uh, ha- it's Janelle Monet and Jenna Malone, a few others. And this one's getting some heavy criticism um, for certain elements that we don't have time to get into. And then the last VOD release is The Secrets We Keep from Bleecker Street. And this is a drama thriller that stars Numi Rapace and Joel Kinnaman and Chris Messina. So a lot of things to pick this weekend in terms of indie releases. But yeah, I think I think this weekend, I think safe to say Devil All the Time will be uh, our main focus of attention. But until then, thank you as always for listening. And don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you can review us. Let us know what you think of the show. And uh, our social media links, as always, are on our Facebook and Twitter. And our email is cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find links to our Twitter profile for me, Will, and Abby. And uh, Abby, do you have anything to plug or promote this week work-wise? It's a good question. Uh, I have a full review of Unpregnant that's up at uh, Crooked Marquee. And my review of The Devil All the Time will run on that site next week. So if you want a preview of my thoughts for that film, um, you can you can check them out there later this week. Perfect. And Will, I think uh, we've already mentioned you're working on your reviews for TIFF. Those will be on Cinemaholics. I think that about covers it, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. When's the next uh, In Ain't Ogre Tilt's Ogre? I haven't heard the word on that in a while. Um, I mean, probably once I'm done with all the TIFF stuff. I mean, I, I imagine that would ah. be the next step. But yeah. For now, that's uh, my central focus. So uh, once I get that out of the way, maybe I'll figure out a date. But I don't have one for you right now. Sounds good. Well, that'll do it for us this week. From the Internet, California, I am John Negroni. From the Internet, Pennsylvania, I'm Will Ashton. From the Internet, Kansas City, I'm Abby Olchesi. See you next time.